Do you avoid conflict at work and in your life like it's the plague? Today we're going to break down why we don't like conflict, what we can do about it, and how it can actually help us win big. Let's go. Helping you win in your work life so that you're winning in the rest of your life. I'm Ken. This is the Ken Coleman Show. Glad you're here. Okay, let's dive into this. I think this is a, a counterintuitive thought for a lot of you. I think you're, some of you are going, Ken, I think you're off your meds. Uh, why in the world should we like conflict? Why should we embrace conflict? How in the world can conflict help me win in my work life? Well, let's take a stab. Give me a few minutes. Let's see if we can make the case. So first, why is avoiding conflict a bad thing? How does that hamper us? I think most people want to avoid conflict, and we're going to get into why in a moment. But let's just first take this on to say that it is a bad thing. It, it, it seems to be good. It seems to be healthy. It seems to be right. But it can be a bad thing. So here's why. If you are constantly looking to avoid conflict, you are constantly suppressing your emotions, your opinions. You're just constantly pressing things down. And that means you're not being authentic. You walk around avoiding sharing emotion, sharing opinion. Now, here's what happens. When you bottle that all the time, you essentially will begin to resent everyone else and resent yourself because you don't like who you are because you're constantly tamping something down. Did you know that bottling up your emotions increases your risk of premature death and even cancer? It leads to bitterness, resentment, negativity. It also causes feelings of loneliness or depression. You become a fraud. You know you're a fraud, even if no one else knows that you're a fraud. And this begins to truly eat away at your mind your emotions, and folks, our body reaps the negative benefits. So just understand there are real health implications here, not just the mental health side. I think everybody thinks about, well, I, you know, I'm dealing with this, this, and this, and this. I'm thinking this all the time, and I don't share it, and blah, 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 blah. But it has physical effects on our bodies as well. So why do we avoid conflict? especially when the stakes are actually high. Now, let me be the first to say that I used to be a guy that would jump into conflict on anything, anytime, anywhere. But if the stakes are high, that 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 causes us to, to want to invest our thoughts, our feelings, and dive in. If it doesn't matter five years from now, don't do it. That was one of the great lessons my mother-in-law shared with Stacy and I early in our marriage. She was talking about therapy relationship and said, you know, we got to a point where we realized if this that we're arguing about isn't going to matter five years from now, let's stop. Let's get over it. This is nonsense. Now that I agree with. But if the stakes are high and we still avoid conflict, why is it? Well, I think one is the fear of disappointing others. We want to be liked. We want to be loved. We want to be respected. And so we don't want to disappoint others. That's one key reason why we will avoid conflict. 
The second is a fear of being rejected. There's a lot of emotional pain here when we go, all right. I'll use pickleball as an analogy because I'm obsessed with pickleball. When we hit the ball across the net, we expect it to be hit back to us. And then I hit it back, you hit it back, you hit it back. And that's the emotional expectation of someone when they jump into conflict. I need to share my thought. That's hitting the ball over the net. You're going to share what you think, what your thought is. I'm going to share what I think about your thought. And hopefully we're going to go back and forth and we're going to make it right. And again, we enter in this because whether we enter it into a in, in, with a healthy approach or an unhealthy approach, we care enough that we go, I'm in. I'm hitting the ball across the net, right? But there's nothing more unsettling for a human than to share your voice and it be completely ignored. I think the silent treatment is the most unsettling thing that you can face. Call me a name. Yell at me. Just don't ignore me. And when we're ignored, when people don't step into this place with us, it feels as a very personal rejection. It is just a complete, I am dismissing you. I am rejecting you. And that hurts deeply. And that's one reason why we don't want to jump into conflict. Another one is the fear of the uncomfortable. Can we just be honest? It's yucky. It's messy to jump into conflict. Even in a civil, we're talking, and all this, by the way, we're talking in a context of civil conflict, not yelling, not insulting, not, you know, bullying. We're talking about, you know, I disagree with you. Why did you say this? Or why did you do this? So this is how this made me feel. That is an uncomfortable, messy situation. And we don't like to be uncomfortable, we humans. We really like to be comfortable. And then the fourth reason is a fear of the unknown. And say so this piles on top of all the others. If you take the fear of disappointing others, the fear of being rejected or dismissed, the fear of being uncomfortable, and then you just, this is like, that's the Sunday. And then what makes it all really awful is the cherry and the whipped cream here of the fear of the unknown. I, that's where the anxiety comes in. I don't know how this is going to turn out. And so I start to worry about it. And I start thinking, well, it could go this way, could go this way, could go this way. All of these being negative, and that's enough of a stressor, the ones we just talked about. Disappointing someone, being rejected, fear of the uncomfortable. So those are three negative outcomes. And then you realize, I don't know if it's going to be this one, this one, or this one. And the fear of the unknown is what really cripples people. I believe that's where a lot of worry comes from, which creates feelings of anxiety. I I don't know how it's going to go. It's terrifying, the unknown. When we drive a car into deep fog or we drive into a torrential downpour and we can't see past the hood of the car what do we do we immediately stop we pull over why we can't see it's terrifying you ever been in a cave can't see a hand in front of your face it's terrifying every step is terrifying so i think the fear of the unknown is what keeps most of us from jumping into conflict stepping into it why we love control now, here's the reality. No matter how you handle yourself, and we're going to talk about how to do it right coming up, but understand this. You cannot control how someone else handles conflict. You can only control how you handle conflict. And in the work world, conflict 
is unavoidable. Conflict with clients, customers, coworkers, your leader. Folks, conflict is unavoidable. And you've got to step into that to go, wait a second. For those of us who handle it well, we stand out. Not only do we stand out, we get better results. Now, you know this is true, but I just want to drive this home. If I said to you all that you must learn how to handle conflict in your family and relationship life, everybody go, absolutely. But if we talk about conflict at work, you go, whoa, 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 whoa. I, I don't want that. Well, you know it's true in your family life. It's also true in your work life. Next, we're going to talk about how to manage conflict, how to make it work for you. Hey, I want you to stop right now and just listen to this. I want you to imagine life four months from now, but you're actually making a starting salary of $75,000. Bethel Tech has a front-end web development micro-credential that you can earn in just 15 weeks for only $5,000. Coding skills are in high demand right now, and you learn them in less than four months. So whether you want to level up your career and salary or you've always wanted to be in tech, you can get started on Bethel Tech's front-end web development micro-credential or a data science micro-credential, another hot field. Now's the time. Let's go. The next class actually is right around the corner. March 18th is when it starts, and Bethel Tech is going to offer you, as a Ken Coleman Show listener, 10% off. So go to BethelTech.net slash Ken Coleman for details. Terms and conditions apply. Welcome back. Hey, if you're enjoying the show, it's helping you, encouraging you, and equipping you, and we're seeing great numbers, so uh, we know that that is happening. But would you help us grow? You're on YouTube. Would you like the video that you're watching? And uh, subscribe to the channel, and then share with someone else that you think it might equip and encourage. And same thing on our multiple podcast platforms. For those of you listening there, would you follow us? Uh, give us a five-star review and share that helps us get the word out in a very crowded space. And but very few people are talking about what we're talking about. We want to help you win again in your work life so that you're winning in the rest of your life. If, if things are falling apart and you're unhappy in your work life, I've got news for you. It is going to affect other areas of your life. So we're talking about conflict. And we talked about why we want to avoid conflict. And we're also talking about conflict in a very healthy uh, standpoint in that this is not relational that we're really focusing on today. In fact, we're really talking about in the workplace, occupational conflict. Just as you, you have to win with conflict in your personal life with relationships, and everybody acknowledges that, we also have to do it in the workplace. But it is avoided so many times, and it is not done well in the workplace, and as a result, it creates all kinds of landmines. So, what do we do first? When you are thinking about conflict you're thinking right now about your current workplace co-workers because i use the word conflict and you immediately is going to take your mind to maybe an unhealthy relationship with a past leader maybe your current leader or a manager that you work with or a co-worker a client come on so you're immediately going okay i get it and i'm starting to just tense up thinking about it okay and 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 i'm going to organize what i think you need to do uh, i'm going to steal if you will a fabulous book title from Dale Carnegie, how to win friends, how to win, I can't talk, how to win friends and influence people. And let's just call it how to stop worrying 
and start living. Okay? And this is the framework here. So let's write down the worst thing that could happen if we step into conflict. What's the worst thing that could happen? Let's go ahead and get the monster out from underneath the bed, shall we? All right. I sit down with my coworker who has been controlling me. By the way, I get this call a lot on the show. Hey, how do I handle a difficult coworker? It's not my leader, not my boss, but they act like it. So let's just write it out. What would be the absolute worst possible scenario? What would be the worst possible scenario? Write it down and look at it. And after you write down the worst possible scenario, then write out what you believe would be the triggers for that. What 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 would make that happen? What would have to happen? What what role would I have in that? Is that something that's going to happen completely outside of anything that I do or say? Let's just dive into that. Next, accept that that is the worst thing that could happen and it might happen and now I'm going to accept it anyway. All right. If that happens, it happens. See, this is looking that monster right in the eye going, if that monster is under the bed and the monster comes out uh, and I got to deal with it, what am I going to do? And this is so true in life in any scenario when we begin to embrace what could happen, what would I do? All of a sudden, the fear of it happening begins to lessen because then we are focusing on what would we do? We're not worried about it happening. We're now going, uh, I got to deal with this, and this would be my action steps. So write it down. Will I lose my job? Will I get demoted? Would I become ostracized in, in the office or on the team? Write this stuff down. Lay it out there. Okay, if this does in fact happen, what are the chances of this happening? Write down what you would do to avoid this. What can you control? Remember, I said you cannot control what the other person does with conflict, but you can control what you do. So let's be proactive ahead of time. What would you do that you can control as you move into the conflict? These are things as simple as my body language, my face, my posture, being careful about some of the words I might say. Do I do the compliment sandwich? Then I drop in the constructive criticism and then a compliment. Think through this stuff. Because here's what happens. Watch. As we're walking through all of these scenarios, we're getting more and more comfortable with, this is not going to be as bad as we think. Now, let me also say, conflict is never exciting. It's never, woohoo. Yeah, it, 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 it is it is something that must be done. It's like getting your shots, you know, when you're a kid, or you got to, you know, you, 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 you get scrape your knee up. Mom's got to pour stuff on it. She's got to put the sap. She's got to put the Band-Aid on it. It's, you know, it's going to be rough. It's going to hurt, right? So we understand that conflict is always going to have a level of uncomfortableness and a level of pain. Level of pain. So what can you control? Write it down. Do you realize it's okay to go into a meeting where you got to have some conflict and, and look at your notes? We're human beings. It's not a presentation. Write it down. 
have a map for yourself. Put some prompts on there. Be careful not to say this. Now, this is huge for leaders who aren't very good at handling conflict. And in a leadership position, if leaders would just go through this process and think through it and write it out and come up with a plan and be present in the moment, looking for prompts, looking for traps, and walking through this, it, it, what it does is it creates tremendous discipline and awareness in the moment. And what happens is you end up giving tremendous dignity to the person that you're having the conflict with. So what can you control? What you say. Your body language. What else can you control? Well, you could control your mindset about this. You know what? I'm going to go in and go, this is going to be good on the other side of this. So instead of coming in and you feel like your stomach's turning, you're going to throw up, you can you could change your mind. Just go, you know what? This is going to be good on the other side of this. It's not going to be World War III. It's going to be good, and that's going to change everything else as well. Decide ahead of time that I want to come through this in a better relational position than I did ahead of time. Now, that's a real game changer. Hey, I got to have this conversation, but I actually, I want to come out of this. What my goal is, is not to be right. Or my goal is not to get an apology from them. My goal is to come out of this with a better relationship as a result of this confrontation. Now, that is an absolute game changer. It, it affects everything you do or say from your face to words to posture to responses to questions versus statements. Because if I go in and my whole goal is, wait a second, I got to have this conflict, but I want to come out of this going, we're in a better place. Now, let me tell you how I know this works because I've done this all the wrong way. You cannot go in making statements. You've got to go in asking questions. The best way to move into conflict is to ask questions. You are allowing them to receive a question and they determine what they say instead of them having to respond to what you say. Big difference. A declarative statement puts somebody on the defensive. A question brings them in into engagement. Very, very important. Very important. And then this is the last piece I'll give you on how to do this, and then I'll tell you why this is such a win if you figure it out. In the asking of questions, not making declarative statements, make sure that you are seeking to understand their side of things. If you go in trying to make them understand your side of things, it'll be one-sided. They'll feel that way. But if you go in, you share what you need to share, but you are not trying to convince them and get them to understand. Understanding, by the way, is not on you, it's on them. But what you can control is do you seek to understand their side of things? And I'm telling you, game changer. Now, why does this matter? Because most people avoid conflict in the workplace, they stuff, and as a result, they create resentment in themselves, resentment towards others, and they don't get ahead because they're unwilling to have difficult conversations, which are the key to growth.
Welcome back to the Ken Coleman Show. It's time for a coaching session. Let's go to Rachel, who joins us now in Kansas City, Missouri. Rachel, you are on the Ken Coleman Show. How can I help? Hi, Ken. Thank you for talking with me today. You bet. What's up? So my question is, um, how do I handle all the pushback that I'm getting um, while I'm while still being respectful to my team, but also gaining their respect, even though I'm new to the position and um, pretty young and inexperienced can, um, compared to them. How long have you been on the job? So I've been here since April, so just a few months. Okay. And how, you, how old are you? I'm 35. 35. So get, give me the lay of the land. You Are you so, the youngest on this team? I am. I am the youngest on the team. Everybody else has been here for at least 10 years, and some of them even greater than 20 years. So they've been around for a long time, and, and they know a lot. I'm not discounting that at all. I'm, I'm brand new. But it seems like every time I try to do anything leadership-related, they give me a lot of pushback, and they're very hesitant to mm-hmm. listen to anything that I have to say. And how many people are you leading? Um, so it's a team of 13 total. There's a regional manager that's over me, and then I'm the team lead, and then there's 11 associates. Okay. And, um, and, and you're feeling this, and has it been this way from day one? I mean, just out of the gate, every time you actually just tried to step in and do your role, uh, or is it more related to change? I'm just curious if it's like holistic or if it's, you know, like anything you say they're pushing back, uh, or is it more when you try to make change happen? I guess it's more about change. Um, They're they're not a lot of big changes. So one recent example was um, one of the associates thought that a certain process was supposed to happen a certain way. And um, from what I learned in training, that was not correct. So I went to the regional manager and said, hey, just to verify, like, how are we supposed to be doing this and this? And then she told me. So I shared that with the other associate who... Um, you know, felt like she was right. And um, she started calling around to all the other associates saying, when did this change? And she was complaining a lot and um, got really angry with me about it. Yeah. Okay. So what did you do after that? Um, I just talked with her and um, I just told her like, hey, I'm just trying to get everybody on the same page. You know, I'm not trying to like step on anybody's toes. I know you guys know a lot more than me. Um, I'm trying to be very teachable. I just want to make sure that we're all doing this the same the same way. And how'd she receive that? Um, it seemed like she received it okay, but afterward, all day long, she kept calling and complaining to everybody about it, so I think she was being pretty fake to me. Okay, so that has to stop. How okay. long ago was this? This was just two weeks ago. It's got to stop. Did you address it after that? Um, I addressed it with my boss, and she pretty much told me that you know change is hard for these older associates and we kind of got to give them some grace and some time to yes, get on board. I agree. But you also need to meet back with that lady again and go, Hey, uh, you know, I've been sitting on this because I didn't want to be reactionary. This happened two weeks ago and I'm coming back after I've put a lot of water under the bridge and, uh, and, and I'm coming to you and I'm going to give you grace and I'm going to give you some time, but uh, to, to get comfortable with change, to get comfortable with me, I understand that. But what cannot happen ever again is after I've met with you and you and I've had our we've had a private meeting going behind my back and talking to the other associates and griping about this can't happen again. So if it happens again, I'm going to we're going to put you on probation or whatever. You got to get your boss to support you, too, and go, look, I'm going to give grace. But the the backbiting and the back channeling stops, never happens again. She needs to understand that. Okay. 
Yeah, it kind of made me feel like, you know, a child who gets a no from one parent and then goes to the next parent. 100%. To get a different answer. 100%. So I'm going to give you some some things that I think will help you, but I want to make sure you, before we move on, you understand that you need to handle this. This is part of being a leader, and you can be very kind, but you need to set out a very clear boundary. This is not to happen again. And you can use an old phrase that I learned from somebody that let that when you, when you, uh, when you respect me privately and challenge me privately, so challenge me privately, that will lead to leverage publicly. You will get my loyalty. I, as your leader, you will build loyalty with me. If if you've got a problem, you come to me and we handle it. We handle it privately, and it stays. Okay. You know, and then and you support me. You can challenge me privately. Support me publicly because I'm going to be clear with you. What I'm going to do is I'm always going to be clear with you. You're going to know what I expect of you and why I expect it of you. Okay. So here's a couple things. And I I mean, you've got to have this conversation with her and go, there will be like, this will not be okay going forward. All right. Okay. So here's the thing right now. There's a great book, by the way, that I want to recommend to you. I want you to go get. John Maxwell's book. I used to work for John for years. Friend of mine, mentor. Get his book, Developing the Leader Within You. Okay? In that book, he talks about the five levels of leadership. And the first level of leadership is where you are right now. In other words, uh, it is all about authority. It's positional leadership is what he calls it. So the only leadership you have right now with these 11 people is positional. Okay? That's not your fault. That's just a function of you're the new leader. Okay. And, and, and so they only follow you because they have to, you understand that, right? Yes, very much. Okay. So we want to get to a point where, and then, and then I can also borrow some more content from John Maxwell in his book, 21 laws of leadership. He's got a a law called the law of the buy-in. And so you've got to get people to buy into you. And so this is relational first professional second. Okay. So your job is to win these people over. And, and, and I don't mean in an unhealthy way. It, it means they need to know that you care about them, that you care about their opinion, that you want their insight, you want their input, and, and, and they need to know, they need, you need to win them over personally. And then if you can't do that, those people are eventually going to have to go. Now, I'm just going to tell you, if you're handling this the right way and they are just pushing back against you, six months from now, simply because you've been there, you're a lot younger, and they've been there longer, then that needs to be dealt with, okay? I don't think you're going to run okay. into that. I think this is just about change. Uh, but but I do want you to know that your job as the leader is to get them to trust you. And the way you get them to trust you is by them seeing that you care about them. Ask them personal questions. How you doing? Get to know what's going on in their life. You need to know a good bit about all 11 of them. Only, not from research, but from asking them questions and getting to know them. And then constantly ask them beyond how are you doing in your personal life, ask them constantly. These are weekly meetings with all 11, by the way. How are you doing personally? And then how can I help you win in your role? It's my job to give you the tools that you need to win. Now, they may not answer that right away. They may give you surface answers on both. But you keep asking, eventually they'll give you answers because they they will eventually trust you on the second question as a result of them seeing that you care about the answers to the first question. How are you doing personally? Does that make sense? 
Yeah, I like that a lot. I wrote both of those things down. Okay, perfect. Now I'm going to give you one other little tip, and I'm going to give you another book to read. So you got two books to read. The <laughs> second book I want you to read is Visioneering by Andy Stanley. Fabulous book. Okay? Okay. And in that book, he gives a three-part process for casting vision. And this is important for you as a leader. Because what you think is, well, I'm just promoting some change that we need to make. It's not a big change, but it's change. It's not just change to them. They can't see why they would have to do something different. So you got to cast vision for the change. Not just this is the change. We got to go. So here's what Andy says in the book. Three parts. First, you got to define the problem that the change addresses. You got to reveal the solution to the problem. And then you got to give the reason for the solution. So here's the problem. Here's the solution. Here's the reason for the solution. And that breaks down change for people. Then they can see, oh, okay. They may not agree, but they can see. And that's the key, okay? And when you do that, you'll get a little bit more buy-in every time as opposed to just, hey, I'm the new person with the new change. I think those, those things will help you. So those two books, Develop the Leader Within You, Visioneering, and if you ask those two questions as a leader every week, how are you doing? Hey, how's your kid doing? How's your mom doing? You got to know enough about them to be able to say, hey, I know, I know your kid's been struggling with this. How's it going? And then the second question is, hey, what are you missing? What, what can I give you? How can I serve you? Leaders don't do this. If you do it, it's a game changer. People will follow you to the gates of hell. This is the Ken Coleman Show. Press on. Thanks for listening to The Ken Coleman Show. For more, you can find the show on demand wherever you listen to podcasts and watch the show on YouTube. You can also find Ken across all social media by following at Ken Coleman.